Welcome. You're listening to a podcast entitled Two Old White Men Who Have the Audacity and Arrogance to Comment on Racism in America. This is Bob Villa from Florida. And Rob Comas from California. Welcome, Bob. Welcome. Okay. Um, interestingly, I uh, pretty much knew what audacity meant, but just thought that since it's in our title, I should be really sure. And I actually looked it up just a few minutes ago. Better, you know, did it just in time. Absolutely. So basically, willing to take bold risks. And in a second definition, uh, basically hinted at a, a, a sense of disrespect. Um, for sure, Bob and I, we are taking uh, bold risks here. We are putting ourselves out there and uh, it, it feels very risky. Um, we do not in any way mean to be disrespectful. Doesn't mean that we won't cross that line inadvertently. Um, are we arrogant? Are we going to be demonstrating, um, manifesting a, a white arrogance to be even doing this? Um, it's not our intention. Um, but whether we are arrogant and audacious or, or whether we're just perceived to be that way, we just ask you to give us a chance because um, we're trying to do the right thing in the right way and for the right reasons. So we're going to be looking at different aspects of our daily lives through the lens of racism as defined in current literature or in the news or anywhere that is uh, basically heard today. And through this process, our hope is that in some small way, maybe we're going to contribute to a less racist society. Um, now, in this episode, we're going to be using as our guide uh, Robin D'Angelo's book, white fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. Uh, this was a New York Times bestseller a few years ago, um, and it's gotten a lot of reading, a lot of controversy, and um, we found it as a good place for us to start. But before we get started, we, we want to just say that Ram and I discussed whether we should make explicit use of the N-word. Um, we decided at this point not to use it, um, but we would like to hear your thoughts when we're done um, regarding this issue. So um, as we get started, the first question is, what is racism and what does it mean to be a racist? So before reading White Fragility, you know, looked up a few different de definitions and kind of came up with this one as racism is a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. I know it's a mouthful, but that's, that's sort of where we encompassed everything. Um, and then a racist is someone who commits racist acts and a non-racist would be somebody who doesn't commit racist acts. So, you know, pretty clear some of the examples of racist people, groups, behavior, policies, you know, somebody who uses the N-word to represent blacks, a slave owner, uh, members of the KKK, you know, the redlining laws that were put in effect across the country to discriminate based housing uh, based on race, 
you know, the Jim Crow laws that existed here in the South, segregation, voter oppression through poll tax, etc. Now, um, and you know, as we got to read this and start talking, we we certainly felt we were not racist. Um, you know, I, for example, looked at myself as a progressive, you know, white person growing up, um, educated, not ever using the N-word. Um, I was always upset or appalled when I heard somebody else using it. And quite frankly, Willie Mays was my hero growing up. So, you know, there was there was no racism within me. Um, Ron, what about you? I mean, certainly similar. Growing up mostly in California, though, and in the Bay Area, I can't say that I ever heard the N-word being used, um, but saw subtler aspects of things that I was aware of. Interestingly, my first um, kind of hero was Malcolm X, and that's yeah. kind of a whole different story. Um, and I... You know, as a 20-something-year-old, uh, where Bob and I actually first, and for the long time, met many years ago, uh, working for Acorn, uh, I worked in uh, the all-black town of Kinlock, which uh, actually, interestingly, uh, most people probably haven't heard of Kinlock, but it is right next door to Ferguson, Missouri. Oh, St. Louis area. Hmm. Yep, North St. Louis, all-black town. Um, you know, I went there to try and make uh, the world a little less unequal. Um, and when I was done there, I uh, returned back to California to live my nice, safe, white life. And therefore, I was not a racist. Didn't perceive myself to be. Okay. And then we get to white fragility. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I, I'll say that the reason I picked this book up and mentioned it to Rob is I, there was an article in Time Magazine discussing racism, you know, after everything that's been going on. And this was one book that was mentioned. So, and, and here's where it sort of took my breath away as we kind of read through it and saw a new and more appropriate definition of racism. And that would be much simpler. Racism is prejudice based on race combined with power to affect policy based on prejudice. Whoa, that's just, that's just amazing. Um, power to- how, how, how do you mean amazing? I mean, you know, thinking about it, that the power to enact laws, when you think about it, those laws exist um, because years ago, centuries ago, white people imported slaves, stole them from their countries, created societal systems that were strictly the advantage of the white person and disadvantaging the others, the black person. Yeah, and those, uh, those Tanahasi Coates quoted, one that uh, was actually cited uh, 
in in white fragility um, by d'angelo but i've recently read in uh coates's book uh between the world and me uh race is the child of racism not the father racism came first and as a, as a way to benefit white uh, populations um, financially uh, and it, it's 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 this really it, it's this construct that was made basically so that so that we could oppress other people non-white people right. to our advantage that's that's the power thing so um again after reading this what um what would you say a racist would be then well and this is this is where this is where the change comes ultimately you know where the rubber hits the road for you and me um because as you read the literature whether it's d'angelo or kendi or Coates or whoever out there racist is one who commits racist acts certainly and here's the part as well as those who do not actively seek to prevent racist acts or challenge racist policies that is if you and i if you know if we do not actually go out every day with the thought of seeing racism and 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 actively seeking to change it this is now what we're perceiving to be a racist act in and of itself that blows me away so it's not just somebody who commits an act but those who don't seek to stop it that we're yeah. we're, we're in the same group um what would an anti-racist be then yeah so and that's a term borrowed from uh, how to be an anti-racist from uh ibram x kendi's book how to be an anti-racist uh one who actively seeks to prevent racist acts and change racist policies hmm. and uh yeah this this is this is opening up a whole bunch of doors to us which we'll be exploring a lot throughout um for us the big thing the big thing is all the things that we listed before—slave, slavery, Klan, redlining, Jim Crow laws, voter pressure, segregation—all that is still racist. Right. But now, folding into that, and perhaps, or perhaps not on equal level, we don't really try to, you know, uh, quantify which is bigger, which is smaller. Just that they are all bad, but not calling somebody out for using the N word. Um, my leaving, leaving an impoverished uh, city of Kinlock, uh, because I was through with what I felt I needed to do as a person back to my white safe place in California. Um, and a big one for me, this one's, this is one that I'm maybe grappling with for a while is do we allow friends and family members to comfortably refrain from actively fighting racism? Ah. Do we do we accept that? And what is the cost for not doing that? And what is the cost for doing that? That one scares me a lot. Uh, well, and that's when you talk about cost, I can I can talk about my own history and sort of a of an 
epiphany, if I can phrase it that way. But um, I spent most of my career in human services, but for a short while, uh, back in my 30s, I worked as a realtor. Um, and there was uh, one family that I was showing house to uh, in a neighborhood that had some African-American families. And by the way, as a realtor, you're not allowed to at all ever answer the question. Um, somebody say, are there black people? Are there, are there you know, Asians? Are there Native Americans in the neighborhood? We're, we're never allowed to answer that, That's um, which is good. But anyhow, um, so I, we were in this neighborhood and I showed them the house. And as we're leaving, the, um, the wife turned to her husband and said, well, there's no way we're going to live in a neighborhood with end kids. And, you know, I, I didn't say anything. And this is when you talk about cost, I, I, this is, this is where uh, I should have thought about it more. Yeah. I needed the money to live on, but I really just should have taken them back to the office and said goodbye. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't. I continued to show them houses and they eventually bought one. But, you know, I, it's, it's really just more like a sledgehammer over the head to me that by not confronting and dealing with this family, my silence allowed uh, them to have a, basically approval of their comments. I, I was complicit. I was complicit allowing those comments without even saying anything or, or forget doing anything about it, which um, just in essence uh, put me in the same category as them. And uh, it's really sad to feel that um, I failed. Uh, I failed to um, address this issue and now it's time. Um, but that's, Looking back, that was a place where I could have done something differently. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we regret these acts of, I think mostly we're talking acts of omission, not so much acts of commission. Right. But we, you and I are here to say we would like to say we had done things differently. We can't change the past, but maybe we can make a difference in the future. And um, that's what we're shooting for here. Um, one thing one thing that uh, I just want to highlight, uh, you know, going back to the definition, really uh, more simply, I think uh, Kendi says a little more simply that racism is uh, discrimination based on race married with power. And the, the power is, is the critical thing. And you and I, kind of talked about it you're struggling with you know where's our power and i think that's what i what phrase that we had talked about is making the invisible visible um by being white we have power we have power that others uh that non-white people do not have and and that's that's been this thing that I've been trying to feel like, you know, where's, where's my actual power? And I feel like I need to recognize what I have. I, I have for 
decades known that as a as a white male of middle class society that I have been privileged and that life is not easy but easier and in many ways a lot easier than others women uh, non-white people uh, and that I, I, I get that privilege right. um, I've been reading uh, Anahasi Coates and and one thing that, that's been jumping out at me he describes his world growing up and and in many ways it's one you know it's a much much more fraught world than he had to go through as a child and and things that he had to overcome and and it occurred to me that in fact just by him being disadvantaged i am advantaged and therefore i have power that he doesn't have it, but that's still something that i'm i'm grappling with you know if we if we are racist and thinking that i I uh, would like to, as uh, D'Angelo says, think of this more as on a spectrum. It's mm -hmm. not binary, racist, non-racist. It's, it's degrees of racism. And if we see parts of us as being racist, that, that means that there's some power there. And, 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 and I'm still fighting with that. But um, I think we're making progress on it. Well, and... And you're right, the, the privilege, privilege that we had and, and my own family story, um, you know, my both of my parents were uh, college educated white people um, married in the 50s, northern New Jersey. And my father got a job in uh, Charleston, West Virginia, and then he got a, another job in Toledo, Ohio and upstate New York, Buffalo, New York, back to New Jersey to New Hampshire, to Massachusetts, you know, and all along the way, we, uh, you know, we didn't have a problem staying anywhere. We stayed in motels, you know, family, whatever. And it was never an issue of, of color wherever we moved to, wherever we lived. And I'll tell you, it, it um, you know, looking back to, um, it hit me, it hit home to me, pardon me, um, when my dad bought a motel late in the 70s in Virginia, and um, a lady called up one night, and I was staying with him at the time, and said, do you allow black people to stay at your motel? And I could only imagine how my life would have been different if my mother had had to make that phone call all along going through Ohio and Charleston, West Virginia, if she had not been uh, a white person, if she had been a person of color. And so when I mix that together with my own history, it's like, wow, wow. Um, the, the power that I have just being a white person is just time, time for change. It's definitely time for change. I, I think that's an excellent answer to the power question because, and I and I think it pulls in something else that there is this sense of normal, and what we see as normal for us as white people is not normal for others. 
but there is power in that. The, the, the power that your family had to move without ever having to worry about would they be able to stay here or would they get the job because they were not white? Yeah, exactly. Or all the, the other things that could come. I, I think that's a perfect example of the power that we have, but that we don't always see. We just think that's the way things are. That, you know, well, yeah, of course you can do that. Well, like you said, no, if you're not white, there's no guarantee you can do that. So I, I think that's, I, I think that illustrates it really, really well. You know, and I, I think, um, someone may say, uh, or I've heard, certainly heard, uh, if a person of color or a Native American was living in a poor neighborhood, and the, the, the statement to them or about them is, why don't they just move? Why don't they get out of that neighborhood? And everything that we just described says that's such a terrible way of looking at it. Um, Again, you know, we're not saying that if you are not white, you cannot advance in society. Obviously, that's not true. It's just where are we starting from? I, you know, I saw a video um, oh, in the last few months where this coach has lines up a bunch of kids on a uh, line and says, okay, you're all going to run down 100 yards and there's money down there. But if you had, you know, college education, take 10 steps forward. If both of your parents were white, 10 steps forward. If you had this, if you had this, you had this, go forward. And at the end, you could see, you know, the, the, just being white, having the advantages still exist, still exists. So, yeah. So you're, we're, so you're right. It's not that it can't be done. It's just harder. Um, and that's and it and it's a daily thing, yeah. Um, for people, and we can you know we can check out of this. Um, you know, the, with the virus and everything, we're all getting kind of beat up. And I I just have been thinking that you and I have been grappling with this this stuff that that is hard for us, and and I think we do get credit for doing something that's bold, and hopefully not for doing something that is disrespectful or arrogant. But I, I know I was getting beat up and I took some time. I actually read three novels to get away from it. Right. right? And, right. and I, I'm sorry, that's just incredibly, I'm incredibly privileged for being able to do that because a lot of people still got to go to work, still got to fight the fight, still got to scratch and claw for things that we get just naturally, naturally in America or what is normal. And that they don't get, and right. I just feel pretty lucky. I feel pretty lucky, and yeah. and and so for us um, going forward, you know, we're um, not just going to talk <laughs> because <laughs> talk is talk is cheap. Um, but what we um, want to continue discussing is how we're now changing our view. Our views have changed because of new definitions, new education. Rob mentioned a couple of other authors and books that we're going to, um, in future podcasts, touch upon and talk talk about. But um, for now, the, the, the key for us is, is um, 
question our assumptions uh, what, about what is normal and to see more clearly all the racism that permeates our lives, our communities. And um, so how do we facilitate? How do we accept this new to us <laughs> worldview? Um, but we're going to talk about it further. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up here shortly for those of us who are still with us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm still here. You're still here. Um, we're going to discuss um, this phrase white fragility in greater detail. And that's probably going to be even harder, not so much to say, but to hear. Um, and further discuss our own personal transformation from being non-racist to racist to hopefully we're going to be anti-racist. Um, and we have some recommendations. Um, for, for folks, um, a couple of things that, that really jumped out at me is there is a journalist, uh, a white documentarian, his name is John Bewen, B-I-E-W-E-N. And he's got some podcasts um, called The Long View on Being White, The On Being Project. And then he's also done a number of TED talks, TED talks, and uh, the one I just recently listened to was called The Lie That Invented Racism. And really, if you don't listen to us anymore, or if you don't read anything else, just, just listen to that. It's less than 20 minutes. Um, his, his story is similar to mine growing up in a northern, predominantly white state and seeing and thinking that the bad people were out there, the white racists were out there, and it was the struggle um, for minorities against them. And uh, he, he also had a similar epiphany, so to speak. Um, another uh, recommendation that I had is, uh, there was a movie from 1951. It's called Bright Victory. And it's about uh, returning World War II vets, one white, one black, uh, who had been permanently injured uh, and permanently blinded during the war. Now, as we know, during World War II, the military was completely segregated, and the white soldier, he was a Southern white man, and this movie is forced to re-examine his racist behavior. So, pretty dramatic movie, especially for 1951. So those, those are my recommendations. I will offer up... Uh two of the many that uh, as, as we go through this there's we're going to have so many recommendations right. but yeah we got to keep the list short here <laughs> so the first first one is uh a podcast called nice nice white parents um who, uh, which is about a uh a school what's that okay it's about a school in in new york uh designed, uh, created specifically for uh, minorities, non-whites, and effectively how white parents <laughs> take it over, yeah. even with the best intentions. It, it's really, really striking. Anyway, it's a good podcast. Uh, the next recommendation I actually just thought of a little bit before this morning when, when Bob, you had mentioned you, you know, your recommendations. Uh, there was a show back in the 90s it's called Northern exposure and uh, was a big fan of this oh, show yeah. for a lot of different reasons, yeah. but uh, the short answer is had, yeah. had a big heart 
and a great soul. Right. Yeah. And there's a, a Christmas episode, the, the Christmas episode. And uh, one of the uh, characters uh, is basically at the core confronting his racism as he finds out he has an Asian child from when he was a soldier in Korea. Oh, oh. And uh, one, one of the... Uh, one of the actually the wiser people on the show, Chris, who does a radio show there, is talking to him, and he he is confronting his his uh, his racism. And uh, Chris says, "Well, the good news is that racism is a learned behavior; that it's not inherent." It's just one of the best lines in the whole world. Oh wow! It's a learned behavior, and therefore, or you can unlearn it. And I think that's what we're trying to do right here. And we're hoping that y'all can come along with us and do it as well. So it's well, a happier, happier little up note for us. I'm going to have to check out. I used to love that show, so I'm going to have to check it out. Well, in closing, uh, we'd love to hear your Yeah, we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, you can call in a voicemail and put it right on this podcast. Now, if you disagree, that's great. Uh, could you give us a point of reference to review so that we can, you know, discuss it and we'd like to talk about it? Or you could send an email to either one of us, bvilla408 at gmail.com or Robbie, bk at aol.com. Rob, this has been fun. Uh, we look forward to doing the next one and let's review the. Uh, feedback that we get. Take care. Let's hope there's lots. You okay. Take care as well. Happy Thanksgiving. Be well. <laughs>